listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Today, we are celebrating the 4th of July. Dear Lord, on this day, we celebrate our nation's birthday, the symbol of freedom that it represents to so many. 330 million Americans out there may not realize the meaning of the 4th of July. And when we talk about pride, it's the pride of our country standing for everyone who lives in the United States of America. We acknowledge that you have been the standing light in this world of what is freedom. What does it mean to truly be free? And although we have fallen short to serve that freedom to every American over the years that the United States was established, we know the meaning of freedom. We know the meaning of the 4th of July. Independence Day is a day of freedom to express our pride in being a nation of hope and prosperity. We pray for your safety and good health today. We salute all American heroes whose legacies live on forever. Happy 4th of July to our pharmacists and pharmacy technicians out there working to keep our nation safe. Happy 4th, everyone. Chief Healthcare Executive Magazine that's put out by MGH Life Sciences released a recent article And I wanted to bring us up to our podcast listeners titled Protecting Patients from Injury Due to Drug Diversion. This was a viewpoint by Dr. Tim Leahy. Uh, Dr. Tim Leahy is a physician ethicist at the University of um, Vermont uh, Medical Center, an advisory board member of Healthcare Diversion. And it goes on to give his uh, background and viewpoint about the dangers of drug diversion not only from the opioid uh, standpoint and or uh, certain classes that are more sensitive for uh, diversion and usage on the street, but also outbreaks of hepatitis C from healthcare workers. Drug diversions are, um, in, in, in Tim's words, are not an anomaly. And he goes on to reference centers of disease control prevention have reported Numerous outbreaks in the last few decades, along despite a highly likelihood of underreporting, and how uh, diversion can lead to um, ongoing infections. I met a gentleman who is making his ranks within the state of Pennsylvania, but also from a national perspective. Um, Mr. Alan McGill is uh, the senior supervisory special agent with the Pennsylvania Office of Attorney General and he's currently assigned to Office of Public Engagement, and he is the president of the National Association of State-Controlled Substance Authorities. Alan has his hands and his nose and his mind in in drug diversion and keeping the public safe at all times. Um, He is a friend of mine. He is a um, a very well-published author, with uh, audiobooks and written books um, on the creative side of his life. Alan, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. Nice to see you as well. We haven't talked in some time. We should probably have you on the show to catch up our listeners and what's happening within uh, drug uh, control, drug diversion, drug safety, it all tying back to how uh, we're keeping the public safe and also the crime underlying it. So um, for for listeners who who don't know the NASCSA, 
and and what you're doing. Uh, give background on yourself, but also we want to hear about the National Association of State Controlled Substances Authorities as well. Yeah. So for me, you know, I've been doing investigations a very long time, and I I started with the Attorney General's Office in 1998. I started out as an undercover agent, which is why generally you don't see my photograph anywhere or anything like that. I keep it pretty hidden just because of my undercover background. But and I did that for a long time, and I was like Miami Vice was something that uh, you know was appealing to me, and so you know that's what we all started doing. Nobody really thought about uh, drug diversion itself, and so. But I had always known, you know, we had a unit in our office called the Drug Diversion Unit, and I really liked it. And I wound up joining that unit in 2007 in the Erie office and investigated drug diversion cases of all kinds, nurses, pharmacists, doctors, patients illegally obtaining, you name it. And I did that for a number of years. Then I was promoted as a supervisor. I became court qualified as an expert in drug diversion. And I started doing training lectures and I started doing them all over the place place because I believe in three things, and that is prevention, enforcement, and treatment. I've always been doing that. And I've been doing trainings for at hospital systems and for pharmacists and um, all kinds of folks in healthcare since 2011, probably. So about 11 or 12 years I've been doing this a long time. I developed my own programs for it as well, teaching law enforcement how to investigate it, teaching um, facilities how to investigate it. And so I expanded that, started doing university programs. So anybody wants to have me across Pennsylvania, I do that. And then I joined NASCA in 2015. And NASCA has a, a big component of the prescription drug monitoring program. We have a lot of folks from that. Um, we have a big contingent in that. And then we, while we handle all subject matter revolving controlled substances, there's a heavy leaning towards controlled medications. And so I was the first chairman of the education committee that we started in NASCA, and we put out webinars. Um, I host and produce the NASCA podcast. We don't have very many episodes, but we have um, about 15 that are out now. And so the idea is just to educate our members, bring all the stakeholders together so that we can combat drug diversion. And, you know, the article you referenced, for example, uh, just a moment ago, and those are the kind of things that you know, we try and bring forth that awareness at NASCA. And it's a it's a great organization. We hold a training conference once a year. But as I was you know, reading that article and, and listening to what you had to say in the beginning, one of the things that you know struck me, and I just been I've been speaking about this recently, that there's no question about it that it's an underreported issue. Because hospital systems, for example, they just it's brand protection. They don't want anybody to know that they have somebody that's stealing medications away from a patient. And I've always understood that. And we've always tried to be sensitive to that because we don't want you know the public to lose confidence in that. But one of the things that I talk about in that area is, you know, if a hospital system is is catching individuals that are diverting, then they're actually doing the right thing. That's the safest place to go because they're actually actively looking for people and they're doing something about it when it happens. So it, it, even though it kind of, you know, doesn't seem that way, that's the hospital system I would want to go to because I know that they're actually trying to prevent it and trying to detect it up front. But it is vastly underreported. There's no question about it. And especially when you start thinking about nursing homes and long-term care facilities, those kind of places. Yeah. And, you know, in Pennsylvania, for example, 
we have a statute which is under uh, health and safety that requires hospitals, the administration, to report any time they have mishandling of controlled substances or medications. They're required to report that directly to the attorney general's office. And, you know, I've done the best I could over the last 10 years to make sure they all were familiar with this and they all knew it so that, that it would come, they would come forward with it. But we lack, of course, because that doesn't include long-term care facilities. That doesn't include doctors. It doesn't include pharmacies. It doesn't include any of that. And I think that there should be some sort of legal requirement, just like the hospitals, to report that so we can investigate and help. Because the idea is we're supposed to be here to help people. And that includes the practitioners. And so that underreportedness, um, you know, I just did a, a le- I just did a lecture for a hospital system, an all-day training. And it's one of the things I talk about. I talk about all the different stats that are out there. And if you study drug diversion, you'll see that most folks will say it's anywhere from 10 to 15% for practitioners across the board. And while it just, and I just don't think there's any way to, to accurately calculate that. I mean, how, I don't, I don't, I mean, maybe a statistician would argue with me about that, but I don't think there's an accurate way to do it because for one thing over, you know, just anecdotally, my experience has been that a lot of hospital systems, a lot of nursing homes, when they catch someone that is diverting or they suspect it's happening, they'll fire that person. And then, you know, then they don't have to report anything because they haven't actually got any diversion, but uh, but they know that something's not right. So they'll very oftentimes let them go or, you know, the nurse or the pharmacist or whoever it is or the uh, med- uh, the practitioner if they you know sense the heat coming around the corner, they'll leave on their own because they don't want to uh, be wrapped up in that. So, and it also doesn't include the number of individuals that are have a some sort of substance use disorder issue that seek help on their own before anything really happens. So, so we don't really have a good grasp on exactly how big the problem is. You know, if I had to guess, I would say it probably mirrors the general population in terms of drug use itself. Um, that would be my uh, a guess, but a complete guess. And so, you know, part of, you know, my functioning, or at least what I, my mission has been over the last several years, has been to help educate everybody in those systems, including pharmacies, including hospitals, nursing homes, anybody that is open to it and wants it. And so they can help detect diversion better and faster. And that not only protects patients, which is the primary goal, but it also helps that individual that's suffering suffering from that substance use disorder. If we can catch it early or earlier, then they may never get arrested. They may never have to suffer through a lot of the uh, the trials and tribulations that happen with that. They may never steal medications. No one will get injured. I haven't met too many nurses or pharmacists that I felt had any sort of ill intent towards the patient. What they were just trying to do was to feel better. And so they were stealing medications. They had total disregard for what they were doing because what takes over is that I I have to have it. But um, so, you know, if you think about it in that framework, then you're not really talking about heavy criminals for the most part. Now, of course there are, because nothing's an absolute, right? There's patients that, or there's nurses, there's pharmacists, there's folks who are, you know, do things that are that can you might consider wicked, like injuring patients and having a callous disregard for those sort of things. But it hasn't been my experience that that's been the primary case. Alan, uh, the quote that you said the first time that we got together in um, 
podcast studio two that we built and 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 you have to come see podcast podcast studio three eventually but a quote that the alan mcgill it sticks out in my head is when you said there are two kinds of diversion the diversions that we discover and the diversions that we don't and i was like wow like that means that it's constantly going on in one way or another and sometimes it can be um a mass effect and sometimes it can be minimalized at least in the beginning um, from the impact on on patients or the public but it's there so you'll you'll definitely always have a job i'm sure but you mentioned before we started recording about leveraging tools in order to expedite possibly catching what what is happening in diversion and big data is a part of that and how artificial intelligence is is used um and walter's crawl is is right up there i mean they're one of these big data repositories for health systems and pharmacists and research they acquired a united states based artificial intelligence enabled drug diversion detection software called invistics and it's fascinating i read about this article just came out um, first week of June, and they made this announcement. But talk to our listeners about how you're leveraging uh, technology in your field as well. Oh, yeah. And let me tell you a funny story about Invistix. I actually know Tom Knight, who started Invistix. Uh, I had I was on the board of NASCA in 2015. I joined NASCA in 2014. And in in at that time, what we were doing was in the hospital space, you would have an automatic dispensing cabinet where you take out medications for a patient. And then you have to go to the patient's bedside and you have to log it in either in an EMAR or an MAR, medication administrative report, right? Most of your listeners probably know exactly what I'm talking about. So, but at that time, those two systems were not married together. So the what used to have to happen was, and your older listeners will remember this, you know, the pharmacy director is usually who was tasked with doing this, would take the automatic dispensing reps, have to print them off, and then they'd have to go to the EMAR system and print them off for the nurse. And then they'd have to marry up the two systems physically by looking at them. And I can remember the very first time I, and I was new to diversion in 2007, and I can remember a uh, hospital system in Erie had a diversion. They had asked me to come down. I went down to the hospital, talking to the pharmacy director. I had no idea that this is how this functioned. And I said, she said, how long do you want me to go back and do the audit? And I said, I'll go back like six months. But that was because I had no knowledge of how the systems actually worked at that time. And, and God bless her, she did it. Um, and I didn't realize how big that was, a task that was. And I soon learned. And then, of course, I tempered, you know, my request down. And let's just, you know, let's just go back two weeks and then we'll see where we go with the audit. And if there's more, we can dig further. So anyway, um, I'm at NASCA and I'm giving a lecture on drug diversion in hospital systems in 2015. I stand up and I'm very frustrated with the whole system and the way it works because, I, you know, at this point, even in 2014, 2015, computers aren't new to us. Everybody has them. Everybody has them in their homes. They have laptops. And what I wanted as an investigator was a thumb drive where I could plug it into both systems and have them download what I needed and then give that to me and have the computer analyze it and say, well, this is missing. You know, there's no waste reporter. This is a discrepancy, those sort of things. And there was nothing like that. And I stand up and I say in front of the group at the end, you know, here we are at NASCA with all these tech companies here 
that are some are sponsors, some are here. Are you trying to tell me that none of you have come up with a system where you can marry these two together and collate these reports so we can find things? Are you kidding me? And, and so I challenged the group. I said, if you don't have it, you should have it. I said, it's ridiculous in this day and age that we can't do this efficiently like this. And so I end the speech. I, I walk out of uh, the conference center and here comes Tom Knight runs up to me um, with Michelle Neal, great people, and says, we're doing this right now. And I said, doing what? And he says, well, we're, we're, I started this company called Invistix, and this is exactly what we're doing. We can go into any hospital system, no matter what they have, and we can marry up their systems. We can marry up the EMARs and the, and the ADCs. And so we've developed this program, and we're doing AI machine learning, and we're teaching the machine how to figure out red flags. You know, and so as we do that, that can help detect diversion better. And so we can get ahead of it. And that's what he's been doing. And so and I just talked to him the other day because I wanted to do an interview with him for uh, for our podcast about AI and talking about AI. And when I do training lectures at hospital systems, you know, we still have hospital systems. I still have them here in Pennsylvania that they don't have AI. They don't have data integration and machine learning. Now they, they do have, you know, where they're connected. Most of the hospital systems now have the ADCs and EMARs are connected, but what they don't all have is advanced AI where they have taught the machines how to detect diversion faster. And so I'll give you an example. I, I speak about this a lot. You know, when we talk about red flags in hospitals, there's, there's lots of them and there's little things that, what happens is hindsight's 2020, right? And we usually find out that a nurse is diverted or that somebody is diverted in the system after some sort of mistake has been made, or perhaps there's some missing inventory or something like that. That's when we usually find out. And then the audit begins. And then we start looking and we're going back. And then you start realizing that, oh my God, this nurse has been diverting for years, you know, and beginning away with it and those sort of things. And then do we have patient injuries? And of course, the other thing the hospitals worry about, and it's another reason they don't necessarily want to report it. Same with nursing homes. You know, when I say hospitals, like you can interchange nursing homes with, with that as well, any healthcare facility. Because there's a liability issue, you know, also because you now you got patients that if they if they can if they think back and think, wow, I was in pain and I shouldn't have been in pain and there weren't methods to detect it, that can be a liability concern. So, you know, system, you know, some some of these big facilities, they're not interested in that. So anyway, um, one of the things, you know, with with when it comes to AI and you point out these red flags, you, you hindsight's 2020, but AI it wouldn't be it wouldn't be hindsight with AI. It would be upfront being able to detect things. So I'll give you an example. One of the things that happens, and this is a little bit unique in today's world, is patients or people suffer from substance use disorder are willing to take just about anything that they can get their hands on. You know, it's no longer just about the controlled substances. You know, when I was working undercover. People had a drug of choice. And if I was buying cocaine, for example, from someone, then chances are all the individuals that person sold to were cocaine users. Uh, the supplier was, uh, was cocaine. The dealers were all cocaine. It was all cocaine. They weren't selling heroin. They weren't selling GHB. They weren't selling ecstasy. They weren't selling anything else. They were just selling cocaine. Well, it's not that way anymore. Uh, over the last five to eight years, I'll say, that and this is nothing new now. Now it's old. 
the dealers have all adapted and they're all selling a little bit of everything because they know their patients are taking anything. And the reason, or not their patients, excuse me, their customers, the reason that they're doing that is because they don't want to suffer through withdrawal. So if they can't get their hands on the substance that they want, then they're willing to take just about anything to alleviate that. And so this becomes part of that equation. Well, nurses, pharmacists, they're exactly the same as everybody else. If they're going to be off for any extended period of time in a uh, facility, then they they either have to plan ahead and start stockpiling or find another way to get whatever they're addicted to or something else that can help them through it. Or they're going to have to start, you know, make they're going to call in and say, do you have any shifts available? Is there any way I can come in? You know, those sort of things. Well, that's very hard to detect as a pharmacy manager or as a nurse manager or something like that, because I was a supervisor myself. And if I asked someone to cover a shift and they said they always said yes, the last thing I was thinking was they were up to something. I was thinking they were a great employee, right? And so that's the byproduct of that because now the employee looks like they're one of the best because they're always willing to come in. They're always saying, hey, if you have an extra shift, I'll cover it for you. Well, the, the reality is if they're a diverting individual, if they have a substance use disorder, that the number one reason they're doing that is because they're going to be sick if they're off for an extended period of time. So they have to be at work, which is where they acquire these controlled substances. So I know I, I gave a long, long introduction into, you know, long lead into this, but this is where AI can come into play. This is one of the red flags, for example. So when I asked, you know, students or I asked an audience, why do you think individuals always volunteer for nights overtime weekends? The very first thing they say is lack of supervision, that it's easier. Yes, that's true. But the number one reason is they're going to be sick and they're going to be off. Well, AI is going to be able to pick that out. AI is going to be able to say, you know, Alan always is volunteering for nights and weekends. Or if you've got your analytics set up and you've got everything integrated, for example, he's key swiping or he's coding in when his shift doesn't start for three hours. You know, he's coming in early or he's accessing this system, you know, this system in a different way. All these different little red flags AI can pick out and it can send a signal to a supervisor or to a regulatory compliance officer in the a you know in the facility or something like that so it gets alerted to people that's the kind of thing that ai can pick out that we have to go back through and look it can look at wasting reports for example you know another red flag is the same nurses always on the same wasting report now there can be a number of reasons for that it can be that that's a small unit and they work together all the time and that's why it's the same too but very often if it's a diversion case then what happens is the nurse that has the substance use disorder will go to the other nurses who are not pro following proper procedure and not witnessing a waste so they can steal a waste. They'll go to those nurses, and that's why they're the ones that are always together on the waste report. Well, that's something else that AI can pick out because AI can look at it and say, this happens all the time like this. Uh, another one, for example, is I have a nurse, uh, you know, I call it colleague bias where they manipulate the doctors and doctors don't necessarily see it because they're not focused on the nurse, they're focused on the patient. So for example, if uh, I had a nurse who, you know, if morphine wasn't affecting her and she had a patient that was on morphine, that was an opportunity for her to go to the doctor and say, I think we need to increase, or I, I, the morphine isn't working for this patient. I think what we need to do is find something else. The doctor would then prescribe Dilaudid, which is what the nurse wanted. 
And so then she could steal some of it, but still give the patient some medication. Or she would say, let's change the frequency or let's change the strength or something like that. Well, that physician isn't going to be able to see that. They're they're going to they're thinking, they're concentrating on how do I treat the patient? How do I manage what the patient needs, not what necessarily this nurse is trying to get over on me. Okay. And pharmacy managers aren't going to pick that either because for one thing, they're not doing it to the same patient. They're going to move her around to a bunch of different patients. So it's hard to detect. But AI could detect it because AI can sit there and in the background and say, every time Alan works. His patients have a have some sort of change in their medications compared to the other nurses. And it's high enough or it meets a certain threshold that now we need to put eyes on it to do an audit. That's the kind of stuff you need. AI shouldn't replace human eyes, but AI can detect something ahead of time. So you can put all these red flags in there with AI. And as Tom did, this is what Tom was doing with Invistics. And Tom had machine learning, and so he was teaching the machine every single time, and then it would alert either the pharmacy director or director of nursing, whoever you wanted to designate, and then the and then that person could do an audit and start figuring out, wait a minute, we got a problem here. And if you think about that, that can really help. That can help that nurse because, for one thing, if there isn't any patient in Pennsylvania, let's say, if there isn't any patient harm, if they haven't. Uh, they don't have a violation of the Controlled Substance Act. They haven't pled guilty to or, or been, a, um, you know, or uh, lost a, a, a trial to, you know, a, a misdemeanor or a felony of the Controlled Substance Act. Then they qualify for the Voluntary Recovery Program. So I guess when I, you know, I'm taking a long way to say and I'm stumbling through it. But what I mean is, if AI can detect it faster and we can get to them faster. Even if they've committed a theft, they've probably only done that, but they haven't hurt any patients. Then they might be eligible to actually rehabilitate their career if we can get them into some sort of treatment. And that's really important. you know. But once they hurt a patient, once a patient becomes harmed, whether it's intentional or not, then that actually takes them out of that. They're probably going to be facing state time, you know, and it, change, it just changes the whole dynamic of everything. And so... You know, that is what is exciting to me about AI. If we can use those sort of tools and it's the, and it doesn't matter, you know, where it's at, if it's deployed properly and we can teach the red flags to it, it can detect things just a lot faster. And so it's very, you know, and I just talked to Tom the other day and he talked about, you know, being acquired by that company. So it's yeah. very exciting. But there are a lot of companies that have this. Tom's isn't the only one. Um, actually, Michigan Medical Center, Len Lewis uh, up there. You know, they had a very big problem one day. They had uh, they had lost a, a nurse who had died. Uh, she had uh, overdosed on fentanyl and they had a um, anesthesiologist who they found collapsed on the OR who had a fentanyl syringe in his ankle and he had overdosed, but he, he didn't die. They were able to revive him. And so what Len did, and he did this the exact same time that Tom was doing this, they actually developed their own internal proprietary software for data integration and AI. And so they've been using it for quite a while uh, as well. And so it's been very effective. And I think it's only going to get better um, to help individuals, not just to protect patients, but also help those that are diverting to get to them faster and get them help. I agree with you, Alan, that artificial intelligence, whatever you want to call it, machine learning, the technology, the data at hand, the patterns can be referenced within seconds versus giving, you know, uh, PDF reports to a human individual and ask them to 
try to find um, discrepancies from from one person's shift to the next over a period of a month, three months, one year, five years, whatever it is. But you're absolutely right. If we put technology in place, the, the patterns can flag someone like you or someone like Tom Knight or someone that's in charge of the pharmacy department or medication um, inventory or whatever it is and quickly bring it to their attention that something's going on within their organization. Uh, Tom wrote a piece in March of 2023 through Pharmacy Times that was titled Three Healthcare Drug Diversion Trends That Are Shaping 2023. And the three points that he brought up is, number one, the rise of deadly synthetic opioids. Uh, number two, staffing shortages and tr travel clinicians are raising safety, uh, safety risks. Um, and that travel clinician position is expanding because of what the pandemic did to burnout of our physicians, our nurses, and our uh, pharmacists. And it's making that travel clinician a much more attractive role where an individual that has that kind of flexibility gets a much more diverse caseload and career opportunity. And with good, there is bad. It's all, There's always yin and yang, Alan, where you might have good come from travel and bad come from travel. But number two that he listed was staffing shortages and travel clinicians. And then number three, limited resources for drug diversion detection professionals. So that's where um, people like yourself and people like um, um, Mr. Uh, Knight and his team um, are being put into place to, to pr help protect our health systems, our nursing homes, our community pharmacies, our specialty pharmacies, where, where whatever facet of medication management or wherever medications are. And Mike, my question to you and really announcing to our listeners that we want to do more in this field of drug diversion. If you're listening and you have experience with drug diversion, I do want you to reach out to the NASCA team. Um, you can find more about NASCA at nascsa.org. Once again, uh, nascsa.org. We're going to have that link in the show notes. Actually, I'm going to link the podcast because I see the the podcast list there as well. You have an episode on cannabis banking and the use of psychedelic drugs, which is a huge, huge topic in pharmacy right now. So we're going to definitely reference that. But what I'd like to do is give a shout out to listeners. If you're interested in participating in audio learning and education content for our pharmacy profession, this is the place to come to interlink and to be uh, baton handed off to other organizations for us to work together to bring information so that we can have uh, great interviews um, like today's with with Alan. But Alan, based on that uh, three points that Tom made, our issues with synthetics, our issues with staffing shortages, um, and then of course the issues with drug diversion detection protocols and professionals and technology. Tell us from your perception, kind of what rises to the top and what you're seeing in in the role that you play within the state of Pennsylvania. Well, yeah, the synthetics I do uh, because you know my background is in narcotics as a whole. I also do a program called Emerging Drug Trends, which is always changing. Um, you know, it's 
always adding new drugs that are coming into the mix. And yeah, the Tom's not wrong. The synthetics have been, they've been around for a while and it really took off when they started cutting in the fentanyl with uh, heroin. Unfortunately, Pennsylvania has the dubious distinction of being the very first state in the United States in all 50 states to have the very first illicit fentanyl that came out of China. And it got delivered into north uh, central Pennsylvania. With, if you're familiar, this is a rural area. This is hunting, fishing area, beautiful. And it was a case when I was a supervisor. It was in 2016. And one of my guys that ran the task force out in Cameron County had caught this case. And it was a woman who was involved with bath salts. There was a bath salt craze for a while. And she ordered a couple of grams of fentanyl and had it shipped and delivered right to her house. So one of the things that I also talk about, and I don't want to get too far off your question, but just so folks understand, and I talk about this as a whole for hospital systems, for nurses, pharmacists in general, keeping up on what the drug trends are on the street are important because this can happen anywhere because of the interstate transportation system, home delivery, and the internet. People can have things delivered right to their house. They don't have to drive to big cities anymore. They don't have to go to Pittsburgh. They don't have to go to Philadelphia. They don't have to go to Cleveland. They don't have to go to Buffalo They can, or have somebody bring stuff to them. They can just order it over the internet and have it delivered right to the house. So Tom's right. The synthetics like fentanyl and you know, this has been going on for a while. This isn't new. But when, you know, heroin is subject to climate conditions because it comes from a plant. So <clears throat> you don't have that with synthetics. And so the cartels have capitalized on this, too. And so they mix it in everything. And, and fentanyl is literally in everything. Um, they mix it in with all kinds of things. And there's lots of debate on, you know, some different things with it. But what most people just need to understand. And then the counterfeit medications that exist on the street it's not like it was in the past, not like it was five years ago. They look perfect. You know, they they look exactly like the real thing. You cannot tell the difference. And so it's in everything and it's very deadly. So he's right about that. The other thing that he talks about is the staff shortaging, which is another, you know, conundrum in itself because, and I asked this question the other day and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't looking for an answer, but I asked this to the nurses. I said, is it better to have a nurse that's practicing while impaired or have no nurse at all? I mean, just think about that for a minute, right? That's that is some of the dilemma that we have. And of course, you want to have some that's on top of their game. And, and just as that article talks about spreading disease and the, all those things are, I don't even talk about that half the time. So I don't have time to go into that level of things. But just stealing medications away and those sort of things is what I'm usually focused on. But there's all kinds of other parts of it, you know, that exist too, like spreading hepatitis C, like the, that happened in the Kwiatkowski case and, and different folks. So you know, one of the so we we have to kind of wrestle with that. And having, you know, visiting clinicians is a huge issue because we need to strengthen how that operates so that we don't have diversion because those are breeding grounds for those kind of activities. You know, I had a case involving a CRNA who did not actually work for the hospital system that had alerted me to her diverting or or practicing while impaired. But she actually worked for a private company that was subcontracted to come into their hospital system. Now, they weren't visiting in the sense that they traveled around. She was pretty much assigned to that hospital. But it's the same concept. You know, you don't they don't actually she didn't actually work for that hospital. She worked for a private company who was contracted by the hospital. That becomes a little bit of an issue if 
there isn't strength in the contract and they're not willing to remove that employee, those sort of things. There's a lot of little issues with it. And so when you think about visiting nurses, you know, they're here, then they're gone and they could be diverting uh, and no one knows it the entire time that they're there, especially if they're only there for a short you know, tour and then they move on to the next facility. So it becomes a, a an easier way to divert and get away with it. And I think, and this is when I, when I, we started talking in the beginning of the program, when I said, you know, you need, I think that people should have to report anytime they have reason to suspect mishandling of controlled substances. That's a very low threshold. I mean, that's the threshold for Pennsylvania with hospitals and special hospitals, but that is the only entity that's required. And so I think it should be required for visiting nurses. I think this should be something that is either, you know, the DEA requires or, you know, because they could put regulations in place to require that, or every state should have it, you know, where, you know, if it is reported that there is mishandling of controls uh, by every entity, including these private entities that have visiting nurses, then they should have to report that to the area that it occurred or the area that it last occurred, because that's the only way that we're really going to be able to get involved firsthand. So that's the first thing that I would do. The second thing is making sure that those contracts are iron tight, you know, so that if someone does come in, they have to obey the same. I mean, I'm sure that they're there. I haven't actually looked at one, you know, I would guess that they're probably say you have to obey the same laws and regulations and the hospital and all that, but it just seems like they always slip through those cracks. And so that has to somehow be strengthened to the point where that can happen. And I think reporting is going to be one of those ways, you know, is, is to do that. So, you know, so those two points that Tom points out, yeah, they're, he's, he's right on those, you know, those are, are two big key issues. So we're going to have you back. Uh, we want to concentrate on drug diversion specifically. So we'll be referencing some of your research as well as some of uh, your, your publications, the podcast. Um, we'd like to, to feature you again in bringing a panel together, um, possibly reach out to uh, Mr. Knight as well, who would be a wonderful resource and conversation. I'd love to sit back and listen to the two, to you, the two of you talk, but Alan, this has been a great opportunity to catch up with you. Um, and um, I just want to give you a, a shout out and thank you for the work that you do. Uh, sometimes you're a behind the scenes type of person, obviously, for many reasons, including your own safety. But I appreciate the work that you do because I see the, the domino effect of how this impacts public health. So thank you for being our guest on This Week in Pharmacy. And we can't wait to have you back. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It was good seeing you.